There she is, Miss Podcast. That's right. You're listening to the longest-running podcast in the world. No podcast has ever made it to 200 <laughs> episodes before, but this podcast did it. The pod people. Don't look that up. Just trust us. Oh, yeah. You can trust us. We're we are pod experts. We are. We're experts. And 200 episodes. After all, we are the longest running podcast. We are. Mm, That's yes. a fact. I'm Matisse Van Rossum, and I didn't come up with a name for this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's episode 200. You gotta do something, buddy. It's, it's a special occasion for our <laughs> listeners. We gotta do quick, 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 quote the movie. Do something. Get away from her, you bitch. <laughs> her, you bench? Is that what you, you said? <laughs> there we go. Okay, well, that's something. Uh, there we go. Stay frosty. I'm Ben Sheets. Damn. All right. Well, hello. I'm Cleveland Mosier, and sometimes people mistake me for a man. <laughs> How are you tonight? <laughs> well, I'm doing great. I'm fantastic. 200, 200 episodes. episodes. Can you believe it? We did it. They said it couldn't be done. Fuck they them. said they said we could never make it to 200 episodes. Yeah, but we did it. We're here, and not only did we make it to 200 episodes, but we made it to 200 episodes in 2022, the twoest year of them all. Can't get more two than that. The year of the squeakquel, in which we're talking about sequels and squeakquels. We did another one for episode 200. We did the sequel to the film we talked about on our 100th episode which was Ridley Scott's Alien. So we thought it was only right to spend this 200th episode talking about the 1986 masterpiece, Aliens, by James Cameron. You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. I think I think we nailed it. I think we did it, boys. We nailed it in 200. We nailed yeah. it in 200. It took us 200 episodes to nail it, but we finally did. But we finally did. <laughs> we finally did it. Let me let me uh, open up my, my white claw of celebration real quick. Let me just... There we go. All right. If there's one thing James Cameron is a master of, it's the sequel. Honestly. He knows how to do a goddamn sequel between Terminator 2 and Aliens... And now, uh, supposedly, this year, we're finally getting Avatar, Avatar 2. Yeah, so maybe. <laughs> the, the most anticipated but, sequel of all time. Wait, did James Cameron, did he direct the first Terminator? I forget. Yeah, so, he did. Yeah, he did. He did both Terminators. Okay, cool. So there's a chance. I mean, the first Terminator is also great. Yeah, but Avatar the first Avatar, was, though. I, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a real question. It's, yeah, a space book on us. It's what it is. Um, it's got some fun ideas in it, but it also has some weird and kind of silly ideas in it. It's mostly weird and silly. Mostly ideas. silly ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gonna take the uh, the alien of Avatar and go to the aliens of Avatar. If you know what I mean, he's right. gonna go full on balls to the wall, epic action horror <laughs> masterpiece with it. I fucking hope so. Well, twenty three years before he made Avatar, he made this the perfect sequel to the perfect movie. This is truly the epitome of how you make a sequel to a movie uh, that is perfect. Yep. You, uh, you cross into a different genre. Yeah, you cross into a different genre and you mm -hmm. say, I can do this, but bigger and more action-y. Yep. And he did. 
Much like Texas Chainsaw 2, this is just another perfect example of how you actually do more but better. I think a big secret here, much like in Texas Chainsaw 2, is you change the tone. It's still space horror. It's still dark. It's, it keeps its core, but it uses it to talk about something entirely different. And it works so well for it. Uh, you know, instead it's a squad film. Instead, there are many more themes of parenthood. I love all of those um, those new elements and because they're done so fucking well. Wow. Yeah, what a, what a film. Well, yeah, because, like, how do you follow up the original Alien? You can't just do the same thing over again because it was already done perfectly the first time. Yeah. I remember not too long ago seeing a story going around that I'm I'm not sure if it's apocryphal or not. Supposedly, when James Cameron uh, was pitching this movie uh, in the boardroom of execs, he went to a whiteboard and wrote alien on the whiteboard and then put an S and put two lines through it to make it a dollar sign. (laughs) (laughs) I would believe that. I really hope that it's true. That checks out. I really hope that it's true. Well, James Cameron is sort of like a proto, like Michael Bay or one of the other big action, like film directors, but with just a few more brain cells kicking around upstairs. You know, enough, just enough brain cells. Better ideas. Way better ideas. Yeah. But still like the, the executive qualities to pull off that kind of financial feat as well, because let's, let's, let's be very real. Like this movie is, is a, is a financial feat. You know, well, well that's the on, thing. on top of like, that. It's not it's not even just like an like an auteurship. Like I would say he's less of a proto Michael Bay and more of like the kind of framework for all of these later directors to yeah. kind of work off yeah. of. Because he built an empire of, you know, huge budget movies that always killed it at the box office and almost always they were unique and different. Paving their own lane, so to speak. They literally found the wreckage of the Titanic so he could make Titanic. Yeah. That's how that movie came to be, is because James Cameron's like, I'm going to go find the Titanic and then make a movie about it. And he did. (laughs) Incredible. (laughs) Fucking absolutely insane. He's a man obsessed. Yeah. Uh, I think it just goes to show that he's been fucking working on uh, more Avatar movies basically nonstop since 2009, and there's supposed to be like four more of them. And um, I mean, we'll see how damn, that pays off. If he's putting that much effort into the new Avatar, how insane is that movie going to be? It's gonna <laughs> like, be crazy, honestly, man. like 10 plus years of focused madness. <laughs> I think it's going to be bad. I think it's going to be really bad, but it's going to be like... It's going to be entertaining. It's going to be an incredible spectacle. Yeah, yeah it's going to be an incredible spectacle. It's as, Much like the first Avatar, is it going to be a spectacle, a spectacle I feel the need to go back and watch again? No. Who knows? See, I'll like, go see it once in the theater and then never like, wow, again. man, that sure was a lot of cool like CG sequences. All right, need, never need to watch it again. I kind of... What if... What if it's good? What if it's good though? What if it's it good? good? Like I, I'm open to it, and I, uh, I, I doubt it. I'm with you. I think you're right. I think it's going to be exactly that. But what if it wasn't? What if it was what, like, yeah. like the best thing I've ever seen? What if it's R-rated? What if it's just aliens again? What yeah. if they got everybody back? They're all <laughs> old now. And it's just he doesn't explain it. Like it's set in the alien world and everything. Yeah. It's just called Avatar Two. <laughs> there you go. Just go. with everybody. That I sounds mean, awful, actually. Like Sigourney Weaver was in uh, in Avatar. So she was. We don't, we don't know that they're not the same cinematic universe. 
even though she plays a different character. We don't know. There's no way to know. Avatar could be set in the alien universe. (laughs) That would be amazing, honestly, if just a xenomorph plopped down on Pandora. (laughs) Game over, man. Game over. uh, And the blue cat people tried to braid fuck it. Oh, now we're talking. They also have tail whips. Yeah. Be like a tail battle. No, they don't. They just have long heads, and then they have. But they also have tails. So would they would they try to braid with the head or the tail? I don't want to think about the this. little mouth. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The worst blood. Someone's in the world. Someone's definitely drawn that online. I'm, I'm not going to look it up. Did you guys know? That in the version of Avatar that's streaming on Amazon Prime, which is pretty much, I think, the only place you can stream it now, they have cut out the braid fucking scene. Revisionism. Fucking, yeah. Why? It's a dumb scene, but, like, why would you cut it? I, yeah, well, I'm... Because they're cowards. I mean, honestly, They are cowards. But also, it sets kind of, like, a dangerous precedent that, like, in the age of streaming, where, like, nobody owns physical media anymore, that, like, streaming services that buy the licenses or that acquire the licenses to, like, stream movies on their platforms can edit them how they choose. Yeah. That's not great. That's really not. But, like, like, let's look into that, right? Like, why... Honestly, what what did did they? What's awful too is they don't have to give a reason. But like, did they? Like, what's the reason for cutting it off? Because like, it's a really like fundamental part of the film. Like, as dumb because, and goofy as it is, like I'm not fucking, like we want to fight for it. But it's fucking weird and kind of okay. Like, it, Movies can be weird. What's the problem? I, I agree with you. I'm just trying to to like parse their reasoning it is by far the fucking strangest decision in the whole movie it made everybody uncomfortable and it's one of the things that everybody makes fun of about the movie which is why you should keep it in agreed yeah Yeah. (laughs) but i think these are all reasons why i can see them being like nah well, I mean, it's just another example of why physical media is important. It's still important. Yeah. yeah. If you really like a movie, buy it. They can't change your, you know, your owned copy. Um, but, you know, circling back to aliens yeah. here, <laughs> I think what's really interesting about going from one to the other, like we were saying, changing tones, but really, like, you're changing, like, the core of what makes aliens work. In the first one, it's all about horror and isolation, right? And you have these isolated spaces. You're shrouded in darkness. In Aliens, you kind of flip that, right? Like, you aren't isolated at all. You're in a, you know, you're with a team of Marines. Right. Everything is lit pretty well, like you're on a you know an abandoned terraforming base but the electricity is still on it isn't completely shrouded in darkness yeah if anything it's just that you're overwhelmed not isolated exactly you know but overswept so it is the opposite in that sense and i love that about it um i've heard it said before that you know the the you know the alien in the first one is you know is treated as like the ultimate predator and it still is in this but it's it's sort of taken on even more attributes of roaches like the way that they're just there's so yeah. many of them like scattered around 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we see in this one that they, you know, are hive creatures. There's a queen. There's a hive. They sort of have a, a, a shared consciousness or intelligence or whatever. They are like bugs. <laughs> and I mean, in the first one, you know, part of the reason that the creature is so dangerous is because one, not only do they not know anything about it, but also they're they're like space truckers. They don't have any weapons. They have the flamethrower, you know, but when you have this huge sprawling ship with this unknown monstrous creature that can travel through the air ducts and, you know, is basically has uh, abilities that you don't really understand, like you're severely outclassed. And this one... Ripley uh, goes in with a squad of colonial marines who have big fucking guns and grenades and flamethrowers and uh, cowboy attitudes. Yeah, and they still underestimate totally. The, well, the xenomorphs. that's one of my favorite things about this movie is that like the whole first hour is basically like hyping up how badass the marines are. You know, there's all of these fucking extended gearing up montages. They're all fucking uh, talking themselves up slapping each other on the back high-fiving a gay amount and you know <laughs> like uh they they have skull and crossbones drawn on their their armor and their helmets you might know as well, like it might as well be like the space punisher symbol yeah yeah i mean well they're you know it's it's very they they do sort of like a vietnam style thing like every mm-hmm. soldier has like their little trophies and like they've written different things on their helmets and stuff like that and it's just like all of this buildup of them being like, oh, yeah, no problem. This is just a bug hunt. Bill Paxton even says they're the ultimate badasses. And then they go in and uh, they're completely useless. Yep. They're completely unprepared for the threat that awaits them on the planet. And uh, they end up being totally ineffectual and well, get their shit handed to them. I like the first sign. Uh, which is uh, when they're in the the bird as they're they're heading down to the the colony, um, doing basically like a drop landing, like a drop zone landing. Someone says to the lieutenant, like LT, how many how many times have you done to drop like this? And he's like fifty something times, thirty eight, thirty eight times in the simulations. How many times in real life? Two counting this one counting this one <laughs> it's like uh oh going with a green lieutenant oh your yeah. lieutenant you know is green that's not good war games don't count <laughs> like uh oh and next thing you know like it uh it, it shows off in the worst ways like he uh his his incompetence is i think largely what gets a lot of them killed i mean it's incompetence all the way up and down um, his incompetence and their overconfidence yeah, yeah. Waylon yutani's overconfidence and yeah. you know it goes on well and of course Waylon Yutani's ulterior motive that we already know from the first alien. Yeah. You know, they want they want to get the organism back so they can study it and use it as a weapon. So I love how fucking Ripley tells Paul Reiser, she's like, I'm only gonna go if you say that you're not gonna try to bring any of them back, that you're gonna that you're going there to exterminate them. He's like, Of course, I promise. And then just like as soon as they get there, he's like, Now hold on a second. How do we know that we have the right to exterminate this mm-hmm. new species? They need to be studied. It's like, <laughs> Ripley, you fool. Why would you believe him when he said that they weren't going <laughs> to do I that? What I like yeah. is that when she calls him on the holophone, which I really like because it's he, he leaves her his card. 
and you know like normally it would stop there and then she just like she'd ring him up on the the machine or whatever but she actually uses the card to call him like she she yeah. plugs it into the machine and it calls him on the video phone yeah. which is neat I, I really like that touch i love the the retro future tech oh it's, oh, so it's cool. great movies. It's, so it's, cool. it's such a cool aesthetic yeah like big shout out to like alien isolation too for like carrying that that on but you yeah she she punches it and she calls him but I, you can see it in her face like when he says that like she doesn't really believe him but she knows that like she's going to have more agency in this scenario or at least i think that she knows she's going to have more agency in this scenario yeah, she if she goes really she knows him. that there's like colonies of families on that like she goes out of a sense of her, responsibility yeah, her yeah. family is gone like she even says like under her breath like uh earlier on like there are families there like yeah. it's like very clear that like that's what's important to her because her own daughter has been you know like was taken from her by time mm-hmm. you know because uh, I'm sure if we mentioned, but uh, after the events of the first alien, when she's drifting off on her little pod ship, uh, she's laid adrift for like 57 years. She's in hypersleep mm-hmm. for 57 years yeah. before they find her. Yeah. So yeah. a lot has changed. Her daughter has grown up and died. They have built a terraforming colony on the planet where they found the the crashed ship in the first one and found the alien egg. I absolutely love the scene where they find her. It's the first scene of the movie. Yes. You know, it has this kind of robot kind of scanning the ship mm-hmm. and area, and it's like mm. really foggy and you know hazy and just like this absurdly blue laser robot. Yeah. yeah the blue laser cutting through the fog looks so good it looks amazing i can see a whole i get like a whole movie of just that aesthetic alone is like enough for me you know and it's just like it's it's just a quick thing it looks oh, mm. i mean yeah, every yeah. fucking frame of this movie is alien, just delicious to look at alien yeah. has like one of my absolute favorite aesthetics in like science fiction in general like it's just it's just so fucking cool and good to look at like the the sort of industrial retro future tech and then you've got the the hr giger uh, like alien organic like hive designs there's just so much good shit to look at in these movies well it's and they all they all feel real they have guts because once again there's the retro future aesthetic so it's not flat screens it's fat screens and uh it's all very tangible and tactile and bulky uh and on top of that the sets are actually built largely uh from stripped down airplane parts so they they look like they have utility because they did Mm -hmm. they you know were fuselages they were you know various like heating and cooling components for like large-scale industrial military machinery it looks fucking awesome because it's a real thing you can touch it uh and you believe that every one of those pipes going somewhere does something because in real life it has (laughs) it served a very functional purpose as opposed to so many other sci-fi like series that I think they get that wrong, you know, like it's like everything's encasing every not necessarily wrong, like like the clean aesthetic looks wonderful, too. I love like the clean aesthetic in a lot of films, but like actually utilizing those parts makes a huge difference. And for the same reason, the Mad Max films are great. And it's why Fury Road is still fucking awesome, because they they kept up with that with modern like uh, like treatments uh, digitally as on top of that. Uh, you you gotta get you gotta have both the best the best Star Wars movies are like of recent times are the ones that still utilize the models for the spaceship battles like it's the shit you can reach out and feel yeah. and touch and believe like and it, even, that's what that's what takes you there and even if it might not like look 
perfectly seamless, it still is so much better than just like dead soulless CG. You know, even if there's those those little things where I'm like, ah, that doesn't look super great. But still, it's like, you know, somebody worked really hard, like on that physical prop. And I mean, this movie is just like a, a fucking feast mm-hmm. in terms of models and matte paintings and animatronics. animatronics. The xenomorphs have definitely leveled up from oh, yeah. Ridley Scott's to this well, one. Even still, even with that level up, which I do agree with, but like even with that, they're very, very very careful with their shots there are there aren't many sequences that last longer than a couple of seconds um uh, or even more than a second when we're talking about the aliens specifically whenever the aliens are crawling around we don't see them for very long because you know that they had individual suits built for various purposes if they're crawling through vents those are different alien suits than the ones where they're they're running those are different alien suits because they because they have to use like a different type of like principal uh effects for it they whether it's uh puppetry body suits you name it at different angles and different types of lighting, like because the alien's body is so um, stringy and long, like you have to marry puppetry with physical suits. And uh, it never gives you that opportunity. It's very, very meticulous to make sure that that spell is never broken. And it's a hard spell not to break. Uh, sure. And there are plenty of movies that, that don't even bother with it that are also great. I mean, Predator is probably, I think, the best example. We talked about that pretty extensively on that episode. Uh, but here, um, they they really take those extra steps to never break, yeah. let that spell break. And it was one of the reasons why I was kind of like disappointed with the... Uh, that movie that came out like I think it was like 2014 or so, The Void, because there's a couple oh, of sequences yeah, sure. where like you can see the puppetry, you can see the puppeteers, and it's like you you have to like be be conscious of your editing to to get that stuff. But I understand like that movie was like Kickstarter funded. It's not the same. It's it's, it's almost not fair to it. But it's it, not James Cameron. No, and it's not, and like and The Void has some really cool stuff on it. So I don't want to just shit on The Void. It's it is a really great movie, and I'd still recommend it. But like. If we're comparing like what makes the greatest to the great, yeah, like sure. and that's it. And also that. That's budget too. Like this movie had so much and, more money than the boy. You know, I was I was noticing too uh, when we were watching the credits at the end of the movie that like the like VFX team is not huge. It's like a couple dozen people, you know, which like isn't insignificant, but just the kind of shit that that like a couple dozen like very skilled people are able to accomplish with like good budget. And I just think of like so many. Uh, you know, we always fucking go back to it, but I mean, it's it's the zeitgeist, like Marvel movies and Star Wars movies, where at the end you watch the credits and it's like three hundred fucking like CG artists that technically do a good job, but well, just, just but just create, but just create something that is so soulless compared to what is on display in a movie like this made by like 1% of the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? it well, can I, be. I, I, I think I don't, I don't want to just like wholeheartedly like shit on CG, like, uh, like entirely either. I think like no. this is a great time for it. <laughs> don't get me wrong. And I, I don't, but it's, I don't it's totally a, disagree, it's a, but it's a specific type of CG and a specific type of movie is mm-hmm. more what I'm I think. I think the underlying point there is, 
you know, a 24-person team was able to pull this off because they had a focused vision yes. of what they were going to do with it. Yeah. Unlike a 300-person team where, like, that vision can easily get muddied with all these different people putting their own input into it. Yeah. And eventually you kind of lose that kind of focused vision and it becomes kind of soulless. And people working on a very small fraction of something that they don't necessarily know how it fits in. The left hand ends up not knowing what the right hand is doing. James Cameron that I've always heard is he's very meticulous and he knows what every single person on set is doing and what they should be doing and what he wants from them. I've heard stories about him on the Titanic set telling the production design team that he needs a specific you know, sort of table or chair or something like that. How has it taken him fucking 12 years to make Avatar 2? It's like, exactly. It's that it is that meticulous obsession and, you know, love his movies or hate them. I have mixed feelings about his filmography, but like he is a kind of filmmaker unlike any other. I think they don't they don't make filmmakers like James Cameron anymore. I think uh, Kubrick is similar in that respect. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And in Hitchcock to some degree as well. Like Hitchcock mm-hmm. was very meticulous. Yeah. He was often bored of movies by the time they were filming because he, he was so meticulous about his scripts. And uh, it's why I, I have such a, a deep respect for artists that have, and directors in particular, that have that level of attention to detail. Uh, and I, I feel and like I all, these people, sign of greatness. all these people we've listened to or have been like notoriously difficult to, to work, work with. Yeah. Right. Well, and see, like, <laughs> no, but it's true. But like, uh, for instance, like in, in my own experience, um, like on, on my friendly neighborhood, right? Like John Samansky is, is a very, um, specifically minded person in, in the similar capacity. He's a very friendly guy, like, which we <laughs> definitely want to make sure I'm, I'm adding that. In. He's like, he's not an asshole like Kubrick or whatever. Like he's a, he's a family guy. He's really sweet. He's a really kind person, but he's very Tina. specific, but he's, <laughs> thank you. But he's, he's very specific in his vision. And like, I have to like, sometimes remind the people on the team. It's like, Hey, we cut the trailer, but like John had like a, a page of notes or so. And it's like, yeah, he did follow them all. He's going to be right. You know, and it's that same idea where it's like, well, you know, like like a lot of other people would just say, cool, it's, it's, it's good enough and move on. But it always is the sign of like that, that greatness. And of course, like my friendly neighborhood is doing extremely well, you know, like in the wish lists and all the rest of it. Like we're I'm really looking forward to that game. It's going to be fucking incredible. And you just I see that same kind of thing in people. You know, I, I have the, the fortune Sorry to talk about myself for a minute um, over the film, but. I have that 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 luxury right now of working at a studio that is like a smaller scale, you know, that isn't being overburdened by massive, massive teams where people don't know what they're doing. They're designing a garbage can, but they don't really know what they're designing the, the CG garbage can for. And here we don't have to worry about that. And I love it. You know, what's the perfect example of like a left hand not knowing is that apparently the voice actors in Bethesda games like Fallout uh, 4, for instance, don't actually know what game they're voice acting for when they get the lines. Also, like, I've, I've heard this, this is alleged, I, I don't know if this is 100% certain, but like, from what I heard that the guy who voices Kellogg, one of the main characters, like the antagonists in Fallout 4, never knew he was voicing a character in Fallout when he read his lines. 
wild if true. And like it makes sense to me because like the, the lines are really dry and they, they don't have like the like I just I feel like if an actor yeah. knew that they were in a fallout game, they would like go and like read Dick Tracy. They would go and like watch radio show or listen to radio shows and get that 50s feeling. But the characters don't don't have that in, in those games. And I think it's largely because of that. Well, it's interesting. I remember, I mean, right, like, they don't even give them the other person's lines that they're communicating with, so they just get their own lines Well, more at, completely out of context. More so than that, I know for Oblivion, I don't know if they've changed this since then, but in Oblivion, all of the voice actors uh, read their lines alphabetically, so they weren't even reading the lines in the same scenes. They just had the list of all of their lines alphabetically mm. and went through them from A to Z. And and to be clear too, I fucking love those games still. <laughs> like I've played I played all of Fallout 4. Like I still I still adore it and for for those great all of the great things in there. It's also some of the best creature designs I've ever seen. Um but what you know like uh well, like, there, mean, there are things that there's there's certain things I that mean, are lost Oblivion that scale. dialogue is a meme at this point yeah. like hello <laughs> it's terrible it's like you can you when you hear that they recorded their lines alphabetically it's like oh yeah that makes of course they total did sense. Yeah. that makes perfect sense like how else do you get such completely stilted flat performances because the actors the poor voice actors who were doing them didn't even know what scenes they were doing was, they were just given a list of lines to read like how uh, at that point just do text yeah seriously right? like, at that uh, point like why bother with voice acting to begin with yeah that's what we're doing with dread delusion i think, I think it's a good call on that front but I, I love voice acting and uh it's it's great in the right games but in that circumstance on that scale it's like oh i don't even know at that point but when you're bethesda you yeah. can afford to do better that's right but anyway supposedly yeah it depends but uh no i, I think uh just the the moral of my rant is is that i uh, you can get that same thing in in 3d as well you know like i was just working with people today like like 3d artists today on on some really cool assets in a game you can still have that that feeling but you it is harder to retain it's harder to hold on to and it's best when it's married right it's best when it's uh paired with the tangible when you you know you still take that 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 extra mile and it's easy to not do that in 3d it's easy to to kind of sidestep that process but you've got to get out there and you got to get your hands in the dirt on that stuff and uh you gotta you have to take those extra steps to make things tactile um prometheus is a great example of that prometheus has a really damn near perfect marriage of 3d like of, of cg and and practicals um, I love I love the look of that film. I hate some of the writing, but like <laughs> like some weird decisions. Uh, but it looks awesome. That said, there's a sequence in this movie where the dropship crashes and they're all running from it. And I was I, I think I said it while the, the movie was playing, but they, they use a lot more analog components like uh we were talking about this one sure shot it's rear, it's rear screen projection yeah one, one yeah. of the shots definitely is yeah where they're like running because behind it's, the scenery it's and... too it looks too clean to be composited mm -hmm. so i think they just set up a, a projector screen and just rear projected it yeah. um for the the shot where it's like rolling towards them and they're like running to get behind like rocks and stuff it looks great well yes. you know, it's so well done what's cool is like rear screen projection is is, is coming back around and now it's like the advancements they've made in it recently 
are enough to make it the forefront again. Like the the effects in like the the Mandalorian series look unbelievably good. Like the lighting is just fucking spectacular in that show because they they invented like um a new like circular screen system where they can shoot on these like set locations like with like these this rear screen projection that is not only seamless but also they can edit it in unreal engine in real time which is so cool like that's a really that's a really neat process so like the directors in like real time can say hey let's pivot the ship over so that the cinematography is better and it's like being able to move sets with your fucking mind and all of it is going to be reacting on the characters like metal armor and like looking Mm -hmm. so good so it it's come back around i think that like that like rear screen projection is sort of like uh once again an advancement um but my my reason for bringing that up specifically is that i think that i i can a lot more i got a lot more out of that sequence and the chaos and the 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 franticness and i really i was i felt and concerned for the characters um even knowing like how the strings are being pulled on the puppet show you still feel more for them than like when the giant cg uh promethean ship is falling in prometheus like because she's she's running from the ship and it's kind of a similar moment right in the in the franchise where like there's a there's a a falling spaceship and there's rubble and she's having to run from it and the premier it's the entire giant ass promethean ship and here it's the one helicarrier and i felt so much more concerned for the characters because you and i I felt it i i I was nervous about all the the parts flying at me because they were real metal parts the characters in this are moving sideways too (laughs) they're running sideways they're not just running in a straight line. Away yeah, from it. They're, they're, they're acting smart. Yeah, the, what, what what is it? The, that dumb YouTube series. How, how do they put it? The Prometheus School of Running Away from Things. We just run in a straight line <laughs> from a falling object. Yeah, from like a long falling object. It's like just I, run to the right. <laughs> I will say this movie also uh, really does a great job of doing the classic ensemble thing where they set up each character with like some sort of minor unique trait yeah to kind of ground them as they get picked off one by one it doesn't take much either it's like i don't need to know these characters whole backstories just like naturally give them all a little bit of flavor you know something that makes them unique and that's the thing it's like two and a half hours this movie yeah and it flies by a but b like you have plenty of time to give backstory but you don't because you focus on what's important and that's the actual you know story that's unfolding and you learn what you need to about the characters organically from how they behave in the situations like To, to me it's the equivalent of like Sumi E painting. Okay, this is a weird metaphor, but follow me on. Trust me on what this else one. Is new? Right, right. Here I go again. But um, <laughs> uh, in in Sumi E, like I've seen artists like sit down and like paint like an entire goddamn sparrow perfectly with one brush stroke. Right, like it's it's a really cool art, and it's about like just doing it in one pass. You know, like you just you dip your your brush in the ink, and you just in one movement like paint this like really intricate thing, and. It feels like that to me, like it's this moment of like, like the character building is just this really like it's it's short, it's quick, it's just with one brushstroke and it's so fucking precise, like it's so well thought out. Um, like let's look at uh, what's her name with the red bandana, um, Vasquez. 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 Let's look at Vasquez, right? Like all of her lines 
are so fucking good. They hit like right to the bone um, and they just tell you exactly who she is, what she's had to deal with all of her life, how she's overcome it, etc. And like make you immediately root for her. Like Vasquez is such a good character, right? Like the, the guy comes up to her, like one of their Marines comes up to her and he says like, Help me out here. Uh, Have you ever uh, been mistaken for, for a man? man. Yeah, because yeah. she's like she's like doing like fucking pull ups and like like just like fucking working out like after getting out of cryostasis. Yeah. She's ready to fucking fight. She's like like more like fucking ripped than like half these dudes. And yeah, so the guy comes over. And says, yeah, like uh, you ever been mistaken for a man? She says, I don't know. Have you? Fucking awesome. Just immediately emasculate the dude mm-hmm. and just keep on yeah. like going forward. I love that shit. It's so fucking badass. Yeah. They like, do a really great job building her up too. Like, in general in the movie, like, yeah. uh, when Ripley is talking about what happened on the Nostromo, she interrupts to say, you know, where is it? And when can I kill it? Yeah, it's only like, one I, thing I need to know, or what, two yeah, things yeah. I need to know. Where is it, you know, and when can I kill it? Yeah, I think they, they really build her up well. And there's that awesome uh little bit i don't know it's so tertiary that she almost has like a relationship with another marine yeah with like the other heavy weapons specialist yeah uh, yeah well i mean they just they fucking dap each other up at, like every time one of them says something pretty much <laughs> but yeah it's like you're not sure it's like are they like a couple kind of you know it's funny because like vasquez is, is a woman obviously but they have like those two have like this weird almost homoerotic sort of mm. uh, they're just two relationship bros. they're just like yeah. they're just like two bros who are in love with each other you know <laughs> i'm trying to find that in my life you know like that's that's what i'm looking for for sure i, I love that shit and it's cool that like the the military like is it's this it's it's the future so they're co-ed you know like uh but but they uh they don't like make a star trek show of it they they try and like paint like a much more real picture of what that might look like yeah and it's cool like i i i, I love that about it and i don't feel like i'm just being preached to it's the same thing it's like uh it's it's that problem that i had with uh the Expanse series, where, like, they cast Bobby as, like, uh, this kind of, like, skinny, like, actress. And it's, like, if they'd gotten someone like Vasquez, I would have bought it. You know, or, like, Brienne in Game of Thrones. Like, like that's, like, the, the character, that character in the Expanse books is, like, has to be, like, fucking heavy. One, because they're a Martian, so they grew up in, like, a lower gravity. And two, they're operating a fucking mech suit. Like, they're, they're ripped. They're, 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 they're fucking supposed to be, like, physically powerful. And, uh... I just didn't buy that from the actor they got, like, because they wanted them to be, like, conventionally pretty. Yeah. And, but at the same time, they try and, like, play the the fucking, like, oh, aren't we, like, fucking progressive card? And it's like, no, fuck you. This is what progressive looks like. You know, like, the, like, like, Vasquez looks like she could take on any of those dudes because she can. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Um, I I love uh, her, uh, you know, fraternal brotherhood, let's say, with the guy uh, she keeps stapping up. Uh, because later, you know, when shit hits the fan, mm. he uh, gets acid to the face, right? Yeah. And that's a really dramatic moment, and she's really broken up about it. And yeah. I thought that was a really great way to pull that full circle. Well, she kind of does it. She feels guilty, too, because she kind of does it to him, because he's mm. like... He's, like, holding off the aliens that are coming down one hallway, and one sort of, like, comes up behind him as they're getting in, into the, the like, tank, and she shoots it, and by shooting to it, protect it gets, him. 
it splashes blood all over him and he like dissolves. Yeah. yeah. So, so she blames herself as well. Yeah. And that got, that makes it even harder. Uh, it, which it reminds me too, the, the first death in this movie, uh, from the Marines, I guess there's, there's the colonials deaths and whatnot yeah. beforehand, but the first, the first death in the squad is friendly fire. And I, I'd oh, yeah. forgotten that. Well, it's perfect. They go in so fucking, you know, like cocksure. They're, you know, they, they're total fucking cowboys. They do not stay frosty. No, <laughs> not at all. Well, that's they the say, like, they say, say frosty a lot. They do not stay frosty. No. As soon as, as soon as the shit even like just starts to hit the fan, their discipline falls apart immediately. Yeah. Immediately. Well, it's such a perfect storm, too. Like, it's it, it doesn't feel like a comedy of errors. Like, it, it feels like just everyone just making the wrong calls. Yeah. Well, I mean... Particularly yeah, the lieutenant. Because they, they go into the, the hive, which is underneath the terraforming thing, and they realize when they're down there that, like, they're, like, armor-piercing bullets. Like, if they shoot down there, they'll, like rupture the cooling system cause a and, meltdown and in the facility cause a nuclear meltdown of the terraforming like 35 facility. megatons I think so yeah they say. so they're yeah so they're in like this this like weird slimy alien hive and they're like seeing all of these you know uh corpses cocooned up on the wall with their chests torn open and shit and then all of a sudden the lieutenant's like uh yeah uh guys you can, uh yeah so you actually can't use your gun down there uh sarge can you collect everybody's magazines uh, flamethrowers only and it's like what the fuck are yeah. you kidding <laughs> what if what if like they did that in an alien video game where like you get all excited you're ready to play the video game and get down there and shoot some aliens and then like your gun is disabled it's just like, like nah. you can't shoot. <laughs> that's what that's what a real aliens colonial marines game would be like and it wouldn't be very fun but the fact too that that uh, that rather than that like he t- makes them give up their their magazines and still sends them in rather than being like yeah, that's when you okay, pull your guys like, out and you yeah, need to pull, yeah. pull out like if you don't have weapons yeah. like why why are you down there you know yeah. but of course they still haven't encountered the the xenomorphs yet so they don't really know what they're in store for because of course nobody listens to ripley who uh once again you know knows knows what she's talking about she's the the expert in the situation oh, once again they, it, it, they didn't they didn't believe the science that's right they didn't believe the science <laughs> they didn't believe the well science. It's, it, you know well, once again it's like in the first movie dr like, fauci ripley, yeah ripley over here is trying to observe quarantine and no one listens to her and they bring yeah. Kane back on the yeah. ship which yep. is the moment where you know that she is the hero yeah and here it's you know like we are now but she makes like her her uh her abilities known and it's cool because it's all organic. I mean, like, she's she's the only one who keeps shit from falling apart completely mm-hmm, in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like after the after this, you know, she's the one who who holds it all together. Yeah, and there's so much here that like stops her from being. I, I hate even like using the term because of like all the shitty Star Wars fans that like co opted it. But like the she's not a Mary Sue, but she isn't. But but it's true, and I and no, I do think it's not. worth it's worth breaking into a little bit. That uh, why why is why does it work for Ripley? Um, and I love using Ripley as an example uh, for for obvious reasons. But the reason 
is is pretty simple. Every time she speaks from a point of authority or like knows what she's doing or whatever, it's organic. She's an engineer. She, <laughs> like that's that's her background. Uh, uh, like 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 as a space trucker and whatnot. So the fact that she can operate the forklift mech makes sense. She's a space trucker. They use those things for unloading and unloading. Of course, well, you would have a permit for that. She gets she she gets her her officer's license taken from her by the company. So in the meantime. She's working on the docks at the space station operating the the mech lifts. Yep. So it's like, yeah, they mentioned that they're like uh, when when Burke comes her is like, yeah, you've been I heard you've been working down at the docks moving cargo. It's like, OK, so when she hops into the 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 robo mech loader later and works it perfectly makes sense she knows how to do that she's trained to do that but and they, they don't stop there they, they still show it to us which i like yeah. also they didn't like a, a lesser movie would have would have like just kind of had that as some dialogue in the background or not said anything and it would have just been like she's a woman she can do it go well, yeah, her. They, just, they wouldn't and have said like, anything well, she well, just no, like, hopped in and known how to do it yeah and it's like well, well no it's like like she she is and that's awesome go her like for sure because of like plot reasons like it's well written um and i i adore that i i i think it's it's so cool and you get to you get to enjoy it right alongside her character and uh i think it's a little silly that the the guys are kind of like whoa like she can operate this thing we see operated every day but i i, I do i do really love I, I it's fun regardless they're kind of reacting for yeah. the audience and uh yeah it's great like and, and, and i think ben you said it well uh, one of the best instances of like Chekhov's gun ever, uh, setting up the the mech lift. Yeah, Chekhov's yeah. Chekhov's robot. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Chekhov's robot. What I love about Ripley too is that like she she is like quick and savvy enough to like make the kinds of decisions that need to be made in these scenarios to like help keep people alive at least for a little while. Um, mm-hmm. But. It's like she's not immune to fear from the situation that she's in, which I think makes it's it's a nice, really believable balance. Like she's a badass, but she's she's not dumb. You know, she's still afraid. Like when Burke like lets the the face huggers loose in the in the med bay while she and Newt are sleeping, you know, to try to get them impregnated. And like uh, they're sort of like up against the glass, like looking around the room and Newt says, I'm scared. Ripley says, yeah, me too. And she looks scared. It's like, yeah, because this is fucking scary. Like you're you're she's smart and, you know, she's she's bold and obviously runs into the melting down uh, reactor at the end to save Newt. Like she's not a coward, but. She's not dumb enough to not be afraid of the scary aliens, mm-hmm. and that makes them still feel scary. There's nothing that deflates a monster more than a, a, a protagonist who's not afraid of it, you know? And I think what's at the heart of what makes Ripley work in terms of that is her relationship with Newt, right? Yes. Like, because she has something to lose, uh, it makes it all the more tangible, uh, and I love her losing her own daughter, who was about 11, 10 or eleven. Yeah, at the who time. was about Newt's age. Yeah, I love how organically that that all is set up. You know. Yeah. She and, she comes back missing her daughter and finds a new daughter who needs her, and you know steps into that position of of 
motherhood and putting herself in danger for her child. Yeah, and, she and it does makes it. the character way more dynamic. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but she does it by fighting a giant mother. Yes. Yeah. It's just motherhood mom, all around. Mom fight. At the mom end. fight. <laughs> yeah. Big old mom fight. Uh, and yeah, she fights the uh, the ultimate Disney princess, the alien queen. I hate that that's a thing. I love that. Why, why, why do you hate that that's a thing? It's great. Like, because Disney's bad. Dis- I mean, Disney is bad, which is why it's funny that the, it's funny to call the alien queen like a Disney princess. Yeah. And, and break all the conventions of what it means to be a Disney princess. <laughs> Anyone can be a Disney princess, including the alien queen. I'm trying to be inclusive here. I mean, you're not wrong, but that is overshadowed by the fact that Disney is the one who holds the rights to Alien. Yeah. And and the IP. Yeah, that's, no, that is a hot bummer. That's yeah. what that's what makes it a bummer. God damn it! Yeah, Alien, Alien. Uh, yeah, Disney owns Alien. Amazon owns Lord of the Rings. I just I hate everything. No, it, well, it, yeah, not entirely. No, Amazon doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon owns the rights just to the Lord of the Rings, not to the Hobbit or the Silmarillion. <laughs> <laughs> they own the rights to the Lord of the Rings and its appendices. Yeah, I can't. I, yeah, so the new series, I guess, isn't going to be about the Silmarillion. No, nope, because they didn't have the rights to that. Fucking wild. That's so awful. I tend to not wish ill will on like TV show productions or film productions or whatever because I work in the industry. But uh, and again, I understand there's a lot of other people working on those projects that have nothing to do with that. That are just trying to make a buck, you know, and live. I respect all of that. Those people are getting those people are getting paid regardless of how yeah, successful there is that. the thing is received. Uh, I will I will happily I, wish uh, ill upon shows uh, that are the projects of uh, of media monopolies like Amazon. Yeah, and yeah the, the, I'll the, happily wish ill on those. The, the, the issue that comes into play for me is just that uh, 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 I. I think that Amazon, like the one of the largest and like wealthiest corporations on planet Earth, uh, representing like such an anti-industrialist like narrative, uh, uh, is vile. Uh, and I, yeah, it's I, almost I hope, like they don't give a shit I hope about the series that. bombs. It's almost uh, like they only yeah. care about money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it sucks. And I just want to keep. I just want to go back to being a Hobbit and and just yeah. I don't. I don't like it. I don't. I don't want to. But you know what. Ugh. On on the subject of, like, Disney owning the rights to Alien and whatnot, like, I don't feel like Alien, the, the Alien franchise, uh, has a lot, a lot of, like, sanctity to it necessarily no. at this point. Like, obviously, no. obviously the first two are masterpieces in different ways, but, like, they haven't really done a good one since this since Aliens. Yeah. I like I I like Prometheus and Alien Covenant well mm. enough, you know. But they're Resurrection not... is underrated. It's Resurrection not great. Resurrection is fun. I like Resurrection not, too. Not, Resurrection is fun. It, it, nowhere, it's near, no. nowhere near. Nowhere near. We all agree near. on that. It's, it's like it's I think great. hot dogs taste good too, you know. <laughs> but it's not it's not like fucking filet mignon. Like it's not or you know whatever other fancy foods. Honestly, I think it's just it's, not the same. I, I think the I think the the piece of media that that does media. the legacy <laughs> good meat i think that i think the piece of media that carries the legacy of these first two movies better than anything else is uh is something you mentioned earlier cleveland alien isolation yes. the game and i don't i don't even think that that's perfect and, but like they at least get the atmosphere and, yeah and, and, and what know. i'll say 
fire what I've seen of Fire Team Elite, like play it, give me your I'd love your hear your own opinions of it, but I, I hung out with my buddies while they were playing it a lot. And uh uh for work, like they were doing some journalist stuff on it, and it looked really faithful to me. And it it, it looked great and fun to play. Like uh and and it seemed to capture the spirit of this movie really well. Um, minus, you know, the, the joke I made earlier about, uh, you know, like your your guns not working because the lieutenant, you know, is, you know, not yeah. making a good call fast enough. But uh, the, the the game goes through like all of like the the cool, like quintessential sets. Um, and you're uh, you always go back to like that hangar bay and it's the same one where the, the, the loading docks are and stuff and you can change out all your gear to look more like one of the other commandos and uh you go through like the promethean realms and shit and it looks cool it looks fun i don't know uh i need to play it myself and you know get my actual hands on it but i i, I did see a decent amount with my friends and i i thought it was cool that like there is a game that kind of carried that on even though apparently it didn't do very well a lot of people didn't really take to it i guess i don't know it's kind of a shame because it looked really neat to me i've heard it's quite buggy i've not yeah. played it myself but uh, that's a bummer I I do I would really like to just for the the gritty satisfaction of mowing down some some gross bugs yeah. at least for a little while. But if you're not a game person, or even if you are, and you're looking for even more weird alien stuff to kind of see like where the where the torch is carried off to, go watch Raised by Wolves. It has a lot of problems. It's it's very <laughs> it's very Prometheus. Go watch this thing. It's not good. No 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 no. It rules, and the problems are a lot of the problems are really good. Uh, I'm never never gonna have a better opportunity to talk about Raised by Wolves. I'll keep it short. I've um, already talked about it on the podcast before. Well, I'm doing it again. Okay. Uh, uh, sorry, I've had a couple of white claws. I'm trying to remember, but the <laughs> the the thing. Uh, I like when when that show is on. It is it is fucking awesome, and it has some some concepts that are really like truly deeply horrifying. I've been uh, I, I've had to like like stop after an episode and just kind of like sit and think uh, from time to time about some of the concepts that they cover, particularly in respect to AI um, and like how they act. It's like the actors involved on that show are are uh, not in any way the problems that I have with it. Like they're really competent and they show like the horrors of like what a like a rogue ai can be like but also the good as well and uh but when when it's bad it's funny it's really like comedically cheesy and uh just goofy decisions that are like purely heady and don't make any sense but oh man conceptually there's some some really cool things about it but anyway i'm 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 rambling go watch more of that if you want to see like what ridley scott has sort of like gotten his hands in you know on that because he's a he's a producer but he has a pretty decent decent amount of like control on that project like there's a lot of behind the scenes with him like on set basically acting as director well Um, going off of that you know in terms of ai i let's talk about how great lance hendrickson is yes as the the ai in this hashtag not all ai He's a good. He's one of the good ones. Truly, yeah. you know they uh, they have that twist in the first one where it's where Ash turns out to be. Well, first of all, they don't know that he's an android, but also that he has orders to make sure the creature makes it back, crew expendable and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and so in this one, when uh, when Ripley finds out that Bishop is an android, she freaks out. Because justifiably, uh, justifiably, she's a little racist, a little ra- little robo racist, little robo racist, she's a little robo racist, <laughs> robo. I, I like I like how 
Bishop plays that scene off because, like, Burke mentions, like, what model Ash was or whatever, and Bishop's just like, oh, that makes sense. That model always was a little buggy, you know? So it's like, but don't worry, like, in, in the 57 years that you've been asleep, like, the technology has improved a lot. Like, I actually, like, I, I'm physically incapable of hurting, you know, a, a, a person or whatever. Um, which is great because we're introduced to him uh, playing five finger fillet with a knife on uh, <laughs> a, an unwilling Bill Paxton, who's another fantastic oh, character. Oh man, in this movie. yeah, Bill Paxton is just a, <laughs> a one of a kind mind. in this movie. So oh, many quotable fucked. lines. Yeah, I mean, Bill Paxton's always the best. We, you know, we we talked about Near Dark not that long ago, and this movie shares a lot of the same actors with Near Dark: Lance Henriksen, Jeanette Goldstein, Bill Paxton. Mm. Um, I I just love how same yet different Bill Paxton's character is in this to Near Dark. Like, there's the same level of of like cockiness and bravado, but also like when the shit hits the fan, he turns into like a total coward. Yeah. Just absolutely loses his shit. What I like is that he's still like somewhat functioning. He's just trying to like talk his way out of everything. Yeah. Uh, but like like when the aliens do like attack again at the end, like once he gets over his shit, he does pick up a gun and like. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. he's still which he's is still, cool. Like it's believable. He's still a mm-hmm. marine, you mm-hmm. know. But uh, you know, after that first encounter, his whole uh, ultimate badasses bravado is just gone Mm -hmm. it's like we're fucked yeah well it's that show of like people who often like project that kind of macho macho energy you're often like the the first you know like to like are often actually it's it's they're projecting out of a out of insecurity yeah and it it shows so well in this character and i i love that i love the scene where uh they're regrouping and they weld shut the blast door right Mm. and they're they're checking on the radar and the radar is such a good motif in this movie, with it just beeping, and they can see kind of general location of heat signatures do, do, as they come do, closer, do, and they do, see all do, these do, 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 uh, do, do, do. dots coming closer to them, even past the blast door. Yeah. And they realize... Uh, they're actually above them in the ceiling. Yeah. That's one of my favorite shots in the movie when he opens up the vent and you just see all of them in the darkness oh, crawling. It's, incredible. it's yeah. so fucking spooky. And you really do forget that they're people in suits. Like you really you not you don't think about it for a minute. Like they just they're just like horrible space roaches and there's so many of them. And like you only can see like 3 in the shot, but the darkness implies that they're like 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 well, who knows dozens hundreds behind them well not just that but the motion tracker we can see how many of yeah. them there are you know so we know there's that many and this is after you know they've set up these sort of like uh like killing corridors with sentry guns that have shot themselves dry they've run out of ammo because there's so many they of just these keep things coming i love that because like we see very little of like the aliens like actually like coming down the corridor and like getting shot it's just like we hear the guns in the distance and they're watching the ammo counters like go down on the computer on the computers so like we 
know what's happening, but we don't really see it. Just it's like, all left to the imagination. Just like for them, they don't, they can't mm-hmm. see what's going on. You know, like they're checking the cameras, but there's too much smoke and like the the muzzle flashes from the guns and the darkness. Like you can't make out anything. It's so effective. Also, in just like not having to have. 80 people in xenomorph suits running down a hallway you don't need that yeah there's never like a like like honestly do y'all ever feel like there's a need to show like hundreds of them at once not at all right can 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 modern fucking movies just like take a take a note for a second i feel like the most because you feel like there's hundreds you feel like it's crawling with them and you only ever see like three at a time Three, maybe four yeah. at most on screen. All you need is the dots of times. on the tracker, yeah, and your exactly. imagination fills in the rest. And yeah. my imagination, like, 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 no CG can compete with that shit. You yep. know, it's well, so much scarier. Well, what's fascinating is the first film almost follows the Jaws rule, where you know they really don't show the xenomorph much at all, and yeah. when they do, you know, it's just bits and pieces, or you know, just. Rushing by very quickly. This movie almost does the opposite, where it continually shows xenomorphs. However, it knows how to effectively place those sequences. Mm-hmm. Where, like, you don't have to show hundreds of them in, like, you know. A big CG swarm scene, like the end of, like, the third Matrix movie or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, you yeah. never need to do that. <laughs> Well, like, like, you know, you know that like if this movie was made today, it would be like that's that's how they would do it. There would be you'd get that shot where like a pipe opens and just they keep crawling out of it. And there's like millions and they're crawling all over the walls and it's all kind of smooth. Like, you know, that like that's that's how they would do it. They did that in Alien versus Predator. Exactly. And it's which is a bad movie. Exactly. (laughs) And it's it's just it's so much better. Like you just you, you only need like three and just light it light it properly which yeah. is not an easy feat mind you like it's not it's not easy like this suggestion but like it it's just it's so much scarier man like let my let my imagination just run free mm, yeah. and it does and it's like i feel like i need to take a shower after this movie like because it's so gooey and nasty and roachy like the even their gooey their, it is. their yeah. acid blood like it's not just wet it's like there's a there's a roach gut quality to it, you know, like it's, it's got vi- that kind it's of viscous. It's yeah. viscous. It's oily. Um, it's awful. It, it really is fucking yeah. wretched. Yeah, because like mean, the fuck everything in in related to the the xenomorphs is so fucking slimy. Mm. The hive sets are great. Seeing the people all like cocooned up on the walls is horrifying. Because like we know that they build these hives and these cocoons by excreting some kind of like resinous slime that hardens but where do they secrete it from what what is that bodily process we don't know and whatever i whatever i can imagine is way more horrifying than what they could show it's like they they've like bees have constructed these like big vast hives by like vomiting up goo and letting it harden and yeah where did that goo come from people people probably yeah it's people goo which is even worse like i mean because it's a bioproduct and the only like biological product for the most part like on in that colony is people yeah like Mm -hmm. so like you have to really think that like the walls are people it's people it's all people so only green is people that's right so only green is people and uh it's 
ooh, it's so nasty and so so scary and gross. Uh, I, I I love it. I, I absolutely love it. The it's, reveal of the of the queen in this movie is handled so well. Too. Oh, the best. Her just like stumbling and she finds Newt, frees her, and stumbles into this room that's just like full of eggs, and it, like looks up and sees like some big ovipositor ovipositor yeah. like leg it egg it follows it the camera follows it up along like just this huge like white slimy egg sack yeah over positively terrifying yeah it's so mm-hmm. gross yeah motherhood up to the the alien queen and then how she kind of like unfolds and like her face sort of like comes out of her head and then she, you see she's got four arms instead of two it's, yeah it's uh well it's, yeah because like the that that one shot of like her in silhouette like with the full body before yeah. she moves with the light like she's backlit in the fog mm-hmm. um and it's just it's clearly a giant puppet like and, oh, and yeah, it's, well, it's I mean, so good that, it, it's so cool that they built that, that fully animatronic bitch <laughs> like that is uh we see so much of that in the last like 20 minutes of this movie mm-hmm. they the the alien queen animatronic is just incredible yeah it always yeah. looks good it um, always looks good well yeah. that's, that's what's so neat is like you know like they're they're so sparing with the the like there's so many shots of the aliens but they're always from like you know like different yeah. angles serving different purposes like but they, they are all, sparing they went all out on the all queen. out yeah. every angle like is, is so shown many, off with a so many creature. points so many points of articulation so many moving pieces we see it doing so many things it it runs you know it it all of its arms move mm-hmm. The yeah, face, yeah, well, the piston mouth, it's yeah, uh, inner tongue mouth, yeah, the piston mouth, the tail, and it's paired with like some of the most seamless like stop motion like you'll ever see, mm. you know, like yeah. uh, like like really spectacularly like seamless stuff, um, and again, like this is all against like the like these perfect matte paintings. There are like three shots in the movie where like the compositing is kind of clear uh, where they're flying yeah. the ship into the facility. You can see like the outline around the ships. Um, but there's but, one kind of composited shot when she's first using the the earlier on yeah. the robo thing earlier on. Yeah, it's not great. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like it's that's a that's a product of the technology at the time. And it's a 40 year old movie. Yeah. And for yeah. three shots with where you can kind of see the compositing like for me, too, like I personally when I see that, like I get a little excited because like I know how it's made. Yeah. And like it, it, it brings me a lot of joy. Like like re- like like sometimes seeing the strings is fun. Yeah. yeah and totally. uh, I uh, I think that's a good example of that. But what is rarely noticeable is the matte paintings themselves. The compositing into the matte paintings, like like three times maybe, but like the the majority of the other times where the compositing is really smooth, like it is for the most part. The the compositing is like fucking great yeah. in this movie, uh, but um, especially considering the time. But um, the the scenes themselves, which are hand drawn, you can't tell because they're because they're Sid Mead. And I, I wanted to bring this up because I saw it in the credits, and it's just. Like once again, uh, I, there's just like a couple of people in the industry, like since the '80s, who can do work like that. There's just there's only a couple, and Sid Mead is one of the greats. I can see you guys kind of like re- you know getting comfortable again because I'm about to do a thing, but it's one that's worth doing. Um, Sid Mead, I'll, I'll keep it quick, but Sid Mead did uh, the matte paintings for Blade Runner originally, as well as Tron, um, as well as the new Blade Runner. 
as well before he died, which is really cool. Um, and many, many other phenomenal films. But he really was the best in the industry. And uh, it's just uh, so cool. I'll never get tired of seeing his work. Uh, go, Just go look it up. Like, it's some of the coolest matte paintings you'll ever see. No one could do sci-fi realism like Sid Mead. No one ever will. Like, he's just, he really is, like, I, you know, like, as someone who, like, studied classical art and painting, like, I, I have no trouble holding him to the same regard as any of the old masters. Like, like, fucking Leonardo and all the rest. Like, I put Sid Mead right up along the rest of them. That realism is unbelievable, and it's all done by hand. Like, none of the the hangar bays with all of the girders and moving parts and everything, like, someone fucking drew that with God, their hands, yeah, that, dude. Like, with their hands. With traditional media. Like, not that, even that digitally. That shot of the hangar bay it's, is just like, that's, it's an incredible Yeah, painting. and it's, yeah, and it's imagine, so like, good. devoting yourself to to something with the intent of making people take it for granted. Yeah. Like, people, you just assume that it's a set. That they just mm-hmm. like found uh, like this hangar bay and built it, and it's like no, like that's hand drawn, and you can't tell it's fucking seamless. Uh, like what a what a master of his yeah. craft, and I just oh I can't I can't gush about, about like, him enough with like really well built miniatures, and I love that like some of the vehicles are uh, like. Uh, remote little remote control mm-hmm. vehicles that they've put in like some miniatures with like a nice matte painting behind it like the 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 crawler vehicle that uh like the newt's family is driving at the beginning that finds the ship uh that's definitely like a little rv thing mm-hmm. um which is great it's just a combination of like so many like masterful skills and techniques combined to create like a really wonderful whole. Yeah, the Wonder- the most wonderful, wonderful whole. You love to see it. <laughs> you love we love a wonderful hole, don't we? Folks? <laughs> Speaking of wonderful holes, let's talk about how the alien queen gets thrown down one. Oh yeah, she oh, gets yeah. thrown down a, yeah. a big hole that out was a into great space. Segue. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so of course we get our. Uh, the quintessential get away from her you bitch line mm-hmm. from Sigourney which is just so, I, I love that delivery so much I get yeah. I get excited every time like really one of the best examples of giving the audience what they want in a movie yeah. ever like, that fight scene is just so fucking cool but um two mean moms two mean moms duking it out duking it out <laughs> in a hangar bay uh yeah so cool uh just two just two alien queens love that they just uh have have her throw the alien queen out the airlock again nice uh sort of mm-hmm. parallel back to the first one mm-hmm can't kill it easily so just throw it out the fucking airlock let space do the work yeah in space no one can hear you scream and guess what that rule does not exclusively apply to humans like throw that fucker into space space is the ultimate decider and it always will be and i love that you know like it's at the end of the day like like no one adjudicates like space like the final judgment will be decided when you're hurled out the fucking airlock fuck you i uh (laughs) i think it's really funny during that scene Ripley is caught on the ladder while she pulls the 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 switch to open it yeah. and she's hanging from this ladder. The, uh, yeah, the alien queen is just grabbing onto her ankle like yeah. dangling out into space. It's like that would just rip Ripley's entire well, leg we off. We do. So yeah, we see it like 
it it it, it introduces like it it enters the scene by goring uh, Bishop and then yeah. ripping him in half with those same arms. But what I will say is I'm I'm willing to let it slide because like she 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 falls on it with the mech. And it's like it's damaged his arms. Sure, like they're like the, the the tendons aren't all like fucking working. I'm just thinking, or whatever. Like, the, I'm just thinking like the weight of the queen itself being yanked out yeah, into and space would would rip mm-hmm. Ripley's leg but off. But I like it because it does. It is sort of foreshadowed earlier in the movie when Ripley when Newt falls down the shaft and she tries to grab Newt. She grabs onto her, mm-hmm. sleeve, her sleeve and yeah. Newt falls through the coat. And then we see it again when the alien is holding onto her and it fa- and she, she lets go via like she slips off her shoe. And so there's sort of like a like, again, there's a there's a parallel there. Um, uh, there's a, 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 a repeat. And it, it's really nice. Um, I like that a lot. Like, yeah. Yeah. They, they, well, they play up the theme. The, the thing that I always found funny in that scene is Ripley is able to pull herself up. By her arms, yeah, she's the she's then able to climb she has, up. like ungodly upper arm strength <laughs> to work against this airlock. Yeah, the vacuum of space. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, no, fun. I uh, I like, yeah, I like so much. I I I really like everything to do with Newt and Ripley. Also, mm-hmm. I find I find like that whole role very compelling. I think that the kid does an incredible job. Uh, like oh, see, I don't think she's a very good actress. You don't think so? I... It doesn't bother me too much, but uh, especially like when she's she has a great scream, but she does she never looks scared when she's screaming. Interesting. I I think that I think that the flatness of her delivery works for a good chunk of the film, like when Ripley first finds her because she's kind of like traumatized. Yeah. So having the sort of like flat, toneless delivery works. Um, but I think that's more of like, it just happened to work conveniently. Not that the girl was doing a good job. I think that was just well, like, I think, I think that's, just, she's well used. I, yeah, yeah. She's, she's and, well, she's well used. She's well utilized. I don't think she's a very good actress. Yeah. Well, I do, I think, think, that, I do think like when she screams, her face is just kind of like blank. Like there, it doesn't look like she's actually afraid. Oh, see, I was, I always kind of saw that as like disassociating. Like, because we see her do that like earlier, and we see Sigourney Weaver do that as well. Like, but like I feel early like on, pro- I feel like you're projecting that onto her. I don't feel like it's like she did possibly, a good job. but like I don't know. Like we we see earlier on, like Sigourney Weaver, like when she's uh, like first come out of cryo and she's trying to get get a grip on everything. There's that shot of her like just staring as she's like got the cigarette that's like ashed all the way up to the end. Yeah, but like, when like she's, she's like just like like totally like disassociating. Yeah, but when she's scared and she screams, she looks afraid. Hmm. Interesting. No, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, but but, but uh, Newt sure does have a a very loud, piercing scream. Yeah, you she hear plenty sure of. It is true, and she screams a lot. This is true. But I I just I I felt uh, I I really believed when like Ripley needs a protector. Their stuff, their stuff is sweet. I think I think like Sigour- Sigourney Weaver absolutely does the heavy lifting. Of course. In that I mean, you know, she's an adult and she's a very good actress. <laughs> uh so, you know, she she makes that work in spite of the kids pretty flat performance. I think it's it speaks well to like how good that stuff is like how compelling their relationship is mm. even though the kid's not a great actor 
Yeah. Um, I, I think that is, uh, it's, it's really well handled. Um, and it's, it's, it's nice that Ripley finds a new daughter. Yeah. yeah. What's not nice is spoilers for Alien 3. We're never going to cover it. Exactly. Yeah. So can, do you mind if we now? Sure. Spoilers for Alien 3. Like, it starts with her landing on the, the prison colony planet and Newt is dead in the pod. I have a lot of problems with Alien 3. I've, I don't I've hold heard, them against David Fincher. Because... I've heard that that's because they couldn't get the actress back and they didn't want to recast, so they just killed her. Yeah. That they wanted to have Newt be a bigger part of that movie, but they couldn't They couldn't get... Well, also, it was, like, years later, so the girl had, like, aged. Yeah. Because um, yeah. I, I think Alien 3 came out in, what, like, 92, 93, yeah. something yeah. like then that? You, then you don't um, do that plot line. Because yeah. it doesn't work. Because well, it's, I mean, to yeah, me, like just, just that killing movie has so like, many problems. It, it but just yeah. it it strips it strips Ripley of like so much yeah. of her her power, her achievement. It it strips so much away, and also just like I I think that like killing killing kids in movies is like a you have to be you have to be kind of careful about it. Um, but I'm 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 generally pro like pro doing it. Like it's <laughs> like go murder children. Like it it works. It, but like. Um, you have to you have to be really careful and surgical about it, you know. Like like shit, shit. This movie kills loads of kids, right? Like mostly off screen, but like even if it was on entirely screen, off like, screen, like, yeah, and, yeah. But like you see, like the kids all over the colony. You see that yeah. like like kids are not safe. Like clearly they can be casualties too. Um, a lot well, of the goo it, on the walls is probably I mean, children. I mean, killing but, killing nude at the beginning of Alien Three is it just it's it, cynical. It's cynical and it. And it undoes the entire point of Aliens. Yeah. Yep, and yeah. I mean, it's far from the only problem with Alien 3. Like, that movie just should not have been <laughs> made. And if it if it had to be, they should have done a completely different story. Yeah. Which, I mean, I mean they, David Venture, in fairness, did try to do. It was going to be yeah, a wildly yeah. different film. Speaking of kids in this movie, though, they had that fun uh, Shining reference in this one with the little... uh, The Kubrick comparison. Yeah, a little bike when he's biking down at the beginning of the the movie. Yeah, there's a kid tricycling around. uh, Big wheel. They have a nice little tracking shot for a second there. Little space Um, wheel. I thought that was a fun little nod. I agree. I I think there is a, a Close Encounters of the Third Kind uh, reference as well. I don't remember what year that came out, but it was before this. I'm quite before, fairly certain. Yeah. But uh, Close Encounters of the Third ty- Kind is, I think, late seventies. I think so too. Yeah. yeah, I think it's like seventy eight, seventy nine, something like that. Um, but you know that that's a movie about aliens and being abducted by aliens. And uh, in this movie, when uh, they take away all of the the marines bullets uh when they're in the hive one of them uh hicks i think reaches into like his backpack and pulls out like a sawed off shotgun he's like i keep this on me for close encounters (laughs) (laughs) i love that uh keep that thing on me yeah Uh, yeah, keep that thing on me that's right (laughs) he uh he does um uh and it gets you it gets good use as well you know another Chekhov's shotgun literally yeah uh, Chekhov's gun um and that's nice uh mm-hmm. of course it sprays acid everywhere when he does use it it doesn't, of course. It doesn't go down so well but 
Yeah, I, I love that, too. Like, when the, the ammo is, like, taken away from all the guys, like, you just see every single one of them, like, find an alternative. Like, they're all like, no, I'm I'm going to live. I choose life. <laughs> Doesn't work, but, you know, at least they try. Yeah. I, I, I liked that. But it's also cool because it serves, like, that decision to, to take away their their ammo, like, serves so many purposes. It highlights the, the uselessness of Wayland yutani It heightens the tension of the scene. Um... It uh, adds challenge, and also it gives them an excuse to move straight to the flamethrowers. So it's just a win, 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 win. <laughs> yeah, like as choices go, if you're gonna take away the 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 Space Marines like cool guns, put something else cool in their hands, and it does a flamethrower. And I mean, they get their cool guns back later. Immediately, once they get out of yeah, there. like yeah, like yeah. very quickly. It really just serves as like the final nail in the coffin for like that operation. Yep. Is like they're already going in way too hot headed and cocky, but now you're also taking away their guns. Like they're about. I to- can't take away our guns. <laughs> God damn. Taking away their guns. What are what are they, liberals? Yeah, this this movie really is just a testament to the, the Second Amendment, you know? That's right. There you go. Yeah. Gun Hooray. Guns, guns we got rights. political. Guns rights are, are people's happy, rights. Happy two hundredth anniversary, everybody. <laughs> it only took us it. it only took us two hundred episodes. We're here. We're political now. We're a political um, podcast. We've done all the movies. Well, uh, I mean, <laughs> Shall we do the formality of rating? I mean, <laughs> why not? Yeah, sure. I mean, five. This is a five. Well, you know, no movie is perfect, so I think I'm going <laughs> to give this one a four point five. No, I'm kidding. It's a five. Of course, it's a five. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's obvious. Jesus Christ! How could I not? Oh my gosh! I don't think anybody's surprised by that one. Mm-hmm. I think we all went in knowing where this was going to come out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I feel like there's still so much to talk about in this movie. We've really only scratched the surface go watch but also it. like go watch it yourself everybody's seen this and it's not like we're bringing any new observations to the table it's a fucking incredible movie i'm really glad we had a chance to watch it and talk yeah. about it on yeah the podcast exactly uh <laughs> next week womp womp to bring the mood down oh no <laughs> morbius drinking a 40 <laughs> in the death, death basket. basket we're doing morbius it's finally we I thought, don't know why i sound excited i'm we not thought the day would never come we're going into the letoverse i do I didn't think that this was a real movie. I thought it was. I thought it was just a trailer they made to launder money. But nope, Morbius is real and it's here. (laughs) And we're gonna fuck. We're gonna go see it. We Uh, we decided to. We could choose not to do this. No, it's too late. It's too late. This is your fault, dear listener. It's too late. Uh, so yeah, this is on you. Morbius is We're next doing this week. for you. Um, we do you have results? I do have for results X. for X. Uh, so Ben, give it to us. Okay, so for our collective rating, uh, I predicted four point two. TC predicted four, and Cleve you predicted three and a half. If I remember Shit. correctly, it I think was you're exactly spot on. Four point two. I think you're spot on. Yeah. Four point two. Yeah, like um, well, I'm glad I was wrong. Check Love that movie. Tomatoes, really quick. Over the past week, I've I've uh, I have I've remained as as keen on that film. Again, it's not that long, but great movie. Yeah, great I movie. It, it is uh, washed over well with me. I, I I still feel quite good about that film. It really it really did capture the the heat of Texas Chainsaw the same way that only the first one ever really did. Okay, so uh, in terms of Rotten Tomatoes, I predicted 72, TCU predicted 71, 
And Cleve, you Oof. predicted seven, uh, 75. Well, I think Cleve might have gotten this one. Right now, it's sitting at a 96. Yeah. Yo! On that is Tomatoes. great. Awesome. Yeah. I didn't know that. I'm glad it's doing yeah. well. Very unanimous. I'm really glad that movie's doing well. Me that's, too. That's good. You know, uh, Excellent. A little bit of a little bit of foolishness on on our part. Uh, we were talking about uh, you know Ty West having already shot the prequel to this Pearl. Uh, apparently, there was just a trailer for it at the end of the credits, and we left before the end of the credits. Oh like my the god! One, like the one what? fucking like the one fucking time we almost always stay through to the end of the credits. I really but need for to pee. some but for yeah I think it's because you had to pee. <laughs> So we left before the end of the credits. I, I saw it. Uh, I saw a cam video of it on Twitter today of somebody stuck to the end of the credits. And yeah, they just there's just a trailer for Pearl at the end of the credits. What in tarnation? And it did answer a couple of the questions we had. Uh, one, no, it is not in black and white. Two, yes, she's been a murderer since 1918. Oh, no. And three, an, un- an unasked question that they answered for us in the trailer, <laughs> the same alligator from uh, X has been around since 1918, <laughs> apparently. Okay, okay that kind of rules. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of great. Uh, Corny, like but awesome. I, uh, so, all right. uh, Fuck, I need to see this trailer now. Yeah, I'm sure, going to have to look for it on Twitter. Yeah. Honestly. Um so. Okay, so box office opening. Oh, weekend. that's right. I forgot we did box uh, office too. I predicted twenty six million. TC predicted twenty five. Cleview predicted thirteen. Uh, did an opening weekend of four point four million. Wow, that's so low. Yeah. It, uh, that's so low. It wasn't competing with any other horror movies. That's actually really surprising. Yeah, but to me. it was also competing against the Batman. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that tracks. Uh-huh. So uh, everyone's going to see the Batman. I think A twenty four was happy with four point four million. So you know, yeah, considering guess. they're getting another movie out of the deals, <laughs> I'm yep. sure they're happy. They already have one in the can. All yeah. right. Well. Speaking of cans. Like the film festival? Yes, that one. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. Saving that for next week. (laughs) (laughs) This week is sponsored by... He. That's it. He. He brought this episode upon us. And he says that you should go out and buy things. Go, go buy things. And when someone asks you, why are you buying things? You say he told me to and that's all you need to know who's he 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 is he the he there's only one not he he that's laughing that's different this is just he he brought this to you happy 200th anniversary everybody happy 200th anniversary (laughs) it's not really it's not an anniversary but uh, 200th episode (laughs) happy (laughs) Uh yeah, well, hot damn, we did it. Because anniversaries we, are annual. Yeah. yeah, we we already have our our anniversary every uh every October, but uh, this is a special one because it was our two hundredth episode and anniversary. Uh, anniversary. Wow! Shout out to every single one of you listeners. Yes, thank you for keeping us here earnestly. Especially, especially if you've been around since the beginning. But even if you haven't, those episodes are always there, so you can go back and listen to them. Two hundred is a lot of episodes of us sitting around rambling about movies like we're 
some kind of authority or something, which which we're not. <laughs> but thank you. Uh, we, we really appreciate it. If you want to show your love for the pod, leave us a five-star rating and a nice review on Apple Podcasts. You can also support us on Patreon if you so choose. But uh, if not, that's okay. None of our 200 episodes are paywalled. So but we, we sure always, do love the support. We, we do love yeah. and, and appreciate you if you choose to support us in that way. Mm-hmm. You can uh, follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod and at Letterboxd.com slash PodPeoplePod where you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those reviews. And you'll find all of our unanimously perfect rated films our golden pods aliens is just the latest in that list of long list uh yeah it's it's a pretty yeah. it's a pretty good list it's pretty, pretty, pretty good. good we're almost pretty up to 30 is. something that's pretty long it's a lot of movies for 200 episodes yeah uh well we, sometimes we've done more than one uh more than one film per episode but anyway rarely um reasons. you can follow me on twitter at some spooky snake <laughs> i'm on twitter at mr sheets and i'm occasionally tweeting for light arc studios we put out progress on it stairs back you know the drill go check out it stairs back we're on steam you can also check out my work on dreadxp.com uh, uh amongst all of the cool video games i'm working on a few of those and uh you can also see uh the store has merch if you want to buy a super fucking cool Sucker for Love poster or T-shirt or Spookware poster or Dreadx Collection poster, there's all sorts of cool things. Uh, I've got uh, one of the posters myself. I had to test out the merch, you know, before we put it out to you lovely people, and it looks fucking sick. I am so happy to have that shit on my wall. Like, uh, the, the print quality is really good. It's like it's really nice, like, Hanson, like, museum-quality paper. Oh, it's so good. It's re- And it's, like, non-reflective, too. Really nice. Anyway, I'm I'm sounding like a shill. I, I really do love love it. Like it, it it's great stuff. Um, we're also going to be at PAX, uh, PAX East. So get excited for that if you're in the Boston area. Hopefully this April. doesn't come out. Oh, okay, it's in April. Yeah, this will be out well before that. Oh yeah, um, go check it out. I will, I will be there. You can meet me in person. Well, thank you again for listening. Thank you for helping us get to 200 episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, this episode of the pod may be over, but it's never game over, man.